idea of bitterness. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, that's where we'll be junior worship. I worship. Whatever that thing's called. Go back there with I church. <laughs> I something needs to go back. Man, okay. Next time I do this, he's making meticulous notes for me. Is that something? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be starting in about verse 14. Uh, If you want to have your Bibles open there, we will start uh, there this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me get there myself. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. If you want to read along with me, it says... Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So the first thing that we want to talk about this morning is that bitterness has a dangerous root. Bitterness has a dangerous root. If you're following along here in the outline... The first blank that we come to, bitterness has a dangerous root. Now, I was thinking about one thing that I like to do when I, when I have an opportunity to, to speak and, and teach is uh, I, like, I love to tell stories. And so I was trying to think of a story that, I, that was from Scripture, that was from the Bible, that would, that would go along about this morning and the first thing that I thought of, the first story that, that came to my mind when I thought of, what, man, what does it mean to have a, a, a dangerous root of bitterness. And the first story that came into my mind was the story of Cain and Abel. Way back in the, in the first part of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 4, we get the story of Cain and Abel. Now, Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's first kids. And I think that would be kind of cool. Um, you, you'd be the, the, uh, the firstborn and secondborn of, of the first people ever, um, which would just be kind of a cool uh, status symbol, I think. Uh, of course, it wouldn't really matter because there would only be four people there. But um, but it would, it would be kind of cool to say throughout history, hey, I was the, sec- the, the third person to ever live. <laughs> um, so Cain and Abel. Now, here's the story. Cain was a, a farmer. And I, and, and I suppose that he was probably fairly good at what he did. Of course, he probably didn't have very many people to compare with. Um, but he was, he was a farmer. Now, Abel was just a, a little bit different in that he was a shepherd. Uh, he kept all the flocks and the animals, uh, and then uh, Cain did all of the, the farming. And so it came time one day for them to bring some sacrifices before God. And Cain brought what he thought was okay. It wasn't his best. It wasn't his worst. Um, but he brought what was, you know, okay as a sacrifice to God. Now, Abel, on the other hand, um, in, in, if, you, if you read along in Genesis chapter 4, it says that he, he brought the fat of his firstborn calves. Uh, He brought the best stuff that he had for his sacrifice. Now, when they made the sacrifice, it says that God looked with favor on Abel's sacrifice. And with Cain's, he didn't. And that caused something in Cain to stir in his heart and in his life, and it grew into uh, extreme, I think, jealousy for his brother. Do, do you have siblings? Anybody have siblings? 
Um, I, of course, have two younger brothers. I'm the oldest, and so I know what it's like when one of your younger brothers does just a little bit better than you. <laughs> it's extremely frustrating. <laughs> Uh, and, and the case in point was when I was, uh, I, I was in ministry and I was, I was doing um, some, what, what I felt was really great work in church and it was very rewarding and I loved it. Um, and then I, I hear that uh, my brother, Corey, um, who was just always just a, tiny, a shred bit better, but I was never going to let him know that, um, was <laughs> he, was, uh, he uh, after working for Wells Fargo for what, like a year, was promoted into management and fast-tracked into management and making way more money than I would ever see in my entire lifetime. Uh, and it was very frustrating for me because I was like, man, he is, he's younger than me. He shouldn't, I should be making more money than him. <laughs> Mainly because um, I just wanted more money. Uh, but, but it was frustrating when, when your younger siblings can do better than you. I'm sure they... They just revel in it. But, but I can understand where Cain was coming from. Because Cain, as the older of the two brothers, probably wanted to feel like what he was bringing before God was going to be uh, either as good or better than what his brother was bringing. He's, he was older. He had seniority. He ought to have seniority. But in the end, Cain's heart was not really in what he had brought before God which was his ultimate problem. And so Abel's sacrifice found favor before God. And as, we all, uh, as you all probably know, as the story goes, um, Cain's jealousy burned so deeply within him that he let, he, it, he let it control him to the point where he killed his own brother. And when God went to confront him about it, Cain said, well, I don't know where he is. I, what am I, my brother's keeper? And like he was going to fool God. <laughs> And God said, Cain, can you not hear your brother's blood cries from the ground? I know what you did. And so Cain was caught. But what I want you to gain from this story is that Cain allowed the bitterness to take root in his life. And I want you to, I want you to, uh, to write this down, maybe scratch it out on the side um, of, the, of the notes or whatever. I want you to scratch out this sentence. The root of bitterness is always planted by another seed. The root of bitterness is always planted by another seed. For Cain, it was his jealousy for his brother. He let the jealousy that that, uh, he had for Abel dwell in him and take root in his heart and in his life, and it so overwhelmed him that it led him to do something that was unheard of. He let that seed of jealousy take root and develop until he was held captive by his bitterness for his brother. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you've let something dwell in you and take you captive and take your heart and your mind captive until your bitterness overtakes you? Bitterness has a dangerous root. From that story, and we see where where bitterness has that dangerous root and it's always planted by the seed of something else, we see that bitterness produces a poisonous fruit. The next thing on your outline, the next blank that you have to fill in, bitterness produces a poisonous fruit. The next story I want to share with you guys is a story about Jonah. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. And we talk a lot about the front side of Jonah's story. 
Jonah was this, uh, a prophet for God. He was uh, a preacher that would go around from town to town and tell people about what God's message was. Uh, and so one day, God called Jonah to do something that he wasn't really comfortable with. God called Jonah to go to this town of Nineveh. Now, if you know much about Nineveh and you watch VeggieTales, they, they slapped each other with fish, um, which is just a, a horrible city to live in, I would imagine. Um, obviously, um, VeggieTales uh, is, is probably one of my favorite things about, um, about Christianity and the Bible. I, th- I love the way that they tell the stories. But I don't think Nineveh was really about slapping each other with fish. Uh, although, as you can imagine, it would probably be a terrible place to live, uh, being slapped by fish every day. Um, but in reality, Nineveh was a dark and evil place. Nineveh was a city uh, that would, I think, dwarf uh, cities like Las Vegas and things that things that uh, the the things that we think we know about Las Vegas. Nineveh would probably just put them to shame. <laughs> Nineveh was a bad place. And Jonah knew that. Jonah knew that Nineveh was not a very good place to be. And so when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah said, Oh, you know, I don't think so. (laughs) And so he ran. And Jonah got on a boat and he decided to go in the complete opposite direction of where God had called him to go. And while he was on the boat, we all know the story where Jonah is here on this boat and he's, and he's running from God and, as, and he's on this boat, a giant storm blows up and everybody starts getting a little worried. Jonah, Jonah I think, was in the, bow, he was in the bottom of the ship and he was napping, which I, which I just think is sort of impressive for a guy who's running away from God uh, who had the time to nap when, when you're running from God. But, but here's Jonah in the bottom of the ship and he's napping and then the storm rolls up and everybody comes running down and screaming at him, trying to figure out what's going on. And Jonah says, you know what? I, I, uh, I think the storm is because of me, guys. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> and so... So he says, hey, you know what? The, the, the way that you're going to get out of this storm is by throwing me overboard. Now, thankfully, Jonah was with a bunch of guys on this ship that were like, you know what? I, let's use that as a last resort because this is a pretty bad storm. We don't want you to like die or anything. That would be bad. And so they start chucking everything off the ship, trying to make the ship lighter so that they don't capsize. But nothing was helping. The storm raged on and none of their efforts seemed to matter. And so Jonah was like, seriously, guys, if you want this storm to be over, you're going to have to get rid of me. So, so I think reluctantly, or, or maybe not, they did. They threw him overboard. And of course, when he did, he didn't die because God, God sent a giant fish and swallowed him up. <laughs> which I'm, I'm not sure which is worse. But at any rate, Jonah lived three days inside of this giant fish. And then the, probably the worst part of the story is that the fish vomited him out onto the beach. <laughs> which is just nasty. <laughs> and so here's Jonah after living. I, I, I've, I've, I've read about people who have uh, studied this and, and who have um, scholars who have hypothesized uh, what would happen to you if you spent three days in the stomach of a fish. <laughs> um, so by this point, I, what, I, what I have read and have understand, if, if you're in somebody's stomach for three days, the acids and everything that are inside of that stomach will, will clean your skin completely. And so Jonah probably, Jonah probably uh, looked a, a, little, a, a little rough, <laughs> to say the least. A little rough. But after Jonah, Jonah's experience inside of the fish, after he'd been <laughs> vomited up onto the shore, 
Jonah finally decides, you know what, maybe God's for real here. And he goes to Nineveh. And he preaches, and he does a dynamic job, and it's, and it's all well and great. And we, most of the time, talk about the front side of the story of how Jonah ran from God, but Jonah finally realized what he was doing, and he went to Nineveh and he preached. But we seldom talk about the rest of the story. You see, the rest of the story is that Jonah, after he preached to Nineveh and after he made uh, the people of Nineveh realize their evil ways, Jonah then went up on top of a hill. You see, Nineveh was, um, was a pretty great city as far as its defenses were concerned because it was, like, it was in a bowl. Um, and so there were hills surrounding Nineveh. Uh, and, and so Jonah, um, after he gets done at Nineveh, goes up and he sits on top of one of these hills and he's looking down onto Nineveh and, and he's waiting for God to strike Nineveh down with lightning. <laughs> you see, here was Jonah, the guy who was called by God to go to a city that needed to hear about the message of God. And, he, and instead of going there and doing God's work, he ran finally came to the realization after being in the stomach of a giant fish that, hey, hey, maybe God's for real. Maybe I get to do what God asked me to do. He goes and he preaches, and instead of sitting and reveling in the message that God had brought to the city of Nineveh and the changed lives that God had brought, instead of celebrating with the Ninevites, he goes and sits on top of a mountain and he waits for God to strike them down with lightning. And the best part of that story is that uh, it, he, he waits for a few days for God to, to do something, but God doesn't do anything. And so as he's, as he's waiting there for God to strike them down with lightning and burn them all, um, God makes this little plant grow up over him so that it gives him shade. So Jonah's like, man, it's really hot. <laughs> and so God creates this little vine and it makes some shade for Jonah. And Jonah's like, oh, that's nice. Oh, great. Sweet. And then overnight, God kills the vine and then Jonah gets mad. <laughs> And Jonah's like, what? I had this great vine. It was giving me shade. And in the very end of the story of Jonah, in the very end of the book of Jonah, God says to Jonah, you didn't do anything to make that vine grow. I made it grow. You didn't water it. You didn't plant a seed. You didn't take care of it. You didn't do anything to make that. I made that vine. And just like that vine... I have changed the lives of the Ninevites and here you sit waiting for their condemnation that's not going to come because of my message. You see, Jonah had let the bitterness for the people of Nineveh overtake his heart. And instead of reveling in the fact that God had changed their lives, he let the poison of his bitterness overtake him. You see, because this wasn't a story where Jonah was just like, uh, it wasn't just a, a moment where Jonah felt like he just disliked the Ninevites so much. It was from the very beginning of the calling. Jonah knew from the very beginning where God said, I need you to go to Nineveh. Jonah had already tuned God out. Jonah had already let the seed of bitterness be planted in his heart and his life, and he let that poison fester inside of his being. And so because of that, Jonah let that, when, when Jonah let that poison overtake him, uh, that let his bitterness with Nineveh affect his calling 
from God. And even after he finished the task, the poison from his bitterness wouldn't allow him to celebrate in the change that God had brought to Nineveh. You see, there's this poison that that bitterness uh, can produce affects not only us, but it affects the people around us. When we let the poison of bitterness in our hearts affect our own lives, it begins to affect the people around us, our friends, our neighbors, our families. There's five things, five things you see here uh, that, that I think classify bitter people. So if you're following along here on the notes, there's five things that I want you guys to, to look at and, and write down with me as we look at uh, bitter people, how, how we can classify bitter people. The first is bitter people justify their bitterness. Justify their bitterness. Oh, it's... It's because so-and-so did me wrong several years ago. Oh, it's because, it's because so-and-so never paid me back when I took him out for lunch. Simple things that we can let eat away at our, at our hearts and our lives. Justify their bitterness. Number two, people become overly critical. Overly critical. Bitter people become overly critical. And we all know when we're around those sort of people who have let bitterness dwell in their hearts and in their lives for too long, they just look at everything with a a negative attitude. Sometimes we call them Debbie Downers, where they're just sort of, they're those people that, that you are around that are just critical of everything that seem to never smile, never have a good day, they're the people that are always in a bad mood (laughs) because they've let that bitterness, the poison of bitterness infest their lives. Number three, they secretly celebrate misfortune. Secretly celebrate misfortunes. Do you know those kind of people? Have you been that kind of a person? When, uh, when somebody you know or somebody you see around you, something terrible happens to them and secretly on the inside, you're like, <laughs> they deserved it. Have you been there? Do you know somebody that has? I know for, for myself, I know that I've been there. I know that I have. I know that I've looked at other people that that are in ministry or the people that have been around me, people that I went to school with, uh, that that when something bad happened to them, I'm like, well, yeah, it's about time. Isn't it it sad? That we can let bitterness infest our hearts so much that we become, that we celebrate the misfortune of others around us. Number four. They write off entire groups of people. They write off entire groups of people. People who have let bitterness dwell in their hearts and in their lives will make it a point not to associate themselves with certain groups of people because they know that they just don't like them. God calls us to live a a special and unique life. There is a this, the Christian life that God calls us to is, is a life that, um, 
and a lifestyle that not very many people in the world uh, understand. If they're on the outside, a lot of people don't understand this. God has called us to live a life where we love everybody, no matter where they're from, what their background is, the kind of words that they say, the kind of music that they listen to, the kind of books that they read, the kind of TV shows that they TiVo. It doesn't matter what people do. We are called to love people. When Jesus was asked to sum up the commandments, he, he, he responded with two things. Love God and love people. We are called by God Himself, by Jesus through His teachings, to love people. And yet, when we let bitterness infest our hearts, and when we let bitterness poison our lives, it seems that there are just some groups of people that we just don't want to associate with because, well, we don't want to hang around with them. Right? Don't we? When God calls us to love everybody no matter what, because God loves everybody no matter what. I've always found it interesting and, and sort of funny that God, God loves everybody no matter what you've done. God Himself said in Scripture that He will love us no matter what our past is, no matter where we've come from, no matter what our background is. And yet here we stand. When God first loved us and me and you, no matter what our background was, no matter what shows we TiVo, no matter what music we listen to, God still loved you and me. And yet here we stand some days because we let bitterness overtake us and we say, well, I can't love that person or this group of people because look at where they've been. And yet God loved you and me where we were. The fifth and final quality is that we, they, bitter people struggle to see bitterness in the mirror. They struggle to see bitterness in the mirror. When you get to the point where you can't look at yourself and see that bitterness has overtaken you, it's a dangerous place to be. When you can't look at yourself and say, you know, what, what is making my life so bad? <laughs> because when bitterness overtakes your heart and when bitterness poisons your life, your days get harder and harder. And when you struggle to figure out what the thing is that's bringing you down day after day, maybe we need to take a step back and, and ask for some help to see what is going on in our hearts and in our lives. Maybe it's not bitterness, but maybe, maybe it is. Maybe there's something that's holding you back. Maybe you haven't figured out what it is. Maybe you haven't figured out or pinpointed that one thing that's making your days uh, uh, as of late bad, day after day. Maybe it's bitterness that you're holding on to. Maybe. Maybe. So the question this morning that I want to ask you is with whom or at what are you bitter? What are you letting bitterness control in your life? Are you at the point where you've, you, you start to look at this list of five things and you, and you can say, you know what? 
That's, that's a little bit me. You know what? I'm a, I'm a little bit this one. Or, or I can see that one just a little bit in my life. Or have you let bitterness blind you to the point where you can say, you know what? I'm none of these things. I'm just angry. Maybe it's, maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's something that you're holding on to that you can't let go of. Bitterness has a dangerous root. It's always planted by the seed of something else. And because of that, it has a poisonous fruit. I don't know what it is for you. For Cain, it was jealousy. For Jonah, it was apathy. For so many others in the Bible, we can read bitterness welled up in their lives and it was always planted by something else. What is it for you and for me today? What is the seed that was planted in your heart and in your life that, dwelled in, that, that developed into bitterness? What is it that's controlling you and holding you hostage today? The next thing we want to look at is how do you kill bitterness? How do you kill bitterness? You pull the roots. <laughs> pull the roots. I've not been much of a gardener in my life. Uh, in fact, um, my wife also will, will uh, along with me, say that in our house, <laughs> uh, if we want to plant things, they have to be plastic because we usually kill everything else. <laughs> <clears throat> so I'm not much of a gardener, but I do know that if you want to kill something really fast... Uh, either ask us to plant it or you just pull the roots. <laughs> just pull it out completely. Because if you want something dead, if you want a plant to die fast, pull it out from the roots. Because I do know full well <laughs> that if you just pull the surface, the roots are still there and it'll grow back. Eventually, it'll grow back. The next blank here on this is killing bitterness with forgiveness. Forgiveness. Kill bitterness with forgiveness. There are any notes. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiveness is something that's really difficult to do sometimes, isn't it? Have you ever been at a point in your life where somebody has done something to you and it's, oh, it takes all you got to say, I forgive you. <laughs> have you been there? I know I have. I know I have. Forgiveness is something that's so difficult in life sometimes, but it is so refreshing when we get to that point and we decide that forgiveness is the only option and we just let it go. Because again, I want to I call to the example of God in your life, God in my life. I look back at my life at all the things that I've done so far in my short years and I look at the things that, that I've experienced and the things that I have been led through and I look at what God has forgiven me of. Why would I not turn around and take that forgiveness to the people that are around me? Why would I not hesitate to forgive the people who have, I think, wronged me in my life? Is it because maybe 
that I'm still holding on to bitterness? Is there something in my heart that I'm still holding on to that I don't want to let go of? Maybe. Is it like that for you? Forgiveness is one of the hardest things I think that God asks us to do in our Christian faith. And yet it is one of the most rewarding things that we can do when we finally let go and break the chains away and forgive somebody for what they've done. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Tough. It's right there. Right in black and white on the page. Right in your Bible. It says it. God said it. It's, that's a tough verse to hear. Forgive men. God will forgive you. Don't forgive men. God won't forgive you. It's a hard lesson to learn sometimes, but it's one that's completely necessary for us to realize that we cannot hold on to the bitterness. We cannot let the roots grow deep inside of our hearts. We have to forgive because it is the only way to break free of the chains that keep us hostage. It's the only way to break free from the things that grow deep inside of our hearts. The only way to break out of the cycle is to forgive. So here's what I want you to think about this morning. How have you observed bitterness poison someone's life? Have you seen people around you, uh, your family, your friends, your neighbors, have you seen bitterness poison their hearts and lives? Or have you at some point in your life seen how bitterness can poison your own heart? Who are you holding a grudge against this morning? So-and-so did something to me years ago, but I still can't let go of it because it plagues me. So-and-so did something to me last week, and I just can't let it go. Somebody did something to me this morning in the parking lot, and I just can't let it go. Maybe you ought to. Maybe you ought to. Because that bitterness, like we've talked about this morning, can take root, and it can last for decades, if we let it. But this morning I'm asking if, if that's you this morning, let it go. How has God taught you to be more forgiving? Have you allowed God's message to empower your life to the point where you understand that forgiveness is the ultimate medicine? Have you allowed God to teach you that forgiveness is what it takes to break the chains away so that you don't have to be held hostage by bitterness any longer? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've not yet experienced the healing power that forgiveness can bring. Maybe you're here this morning and you have let bitterness dwell and poison your life so much to the point that you just cannot seem to function day after day. If that's you this morning, I want to challenge you and call you to letting God show you what it means to experience forgiveness. Maybe you need to come forward this morning and you need to ask for prayer, and we can do that for you. There are men here and women here who will step up and pray for you. 
and lead you through the healing process of forgiveness to let the bitterness go. Maybe it's you're at a point where you don't need uh, a bunch of people surrounding you. Maybe you just need to come forward today and step at the foot of the cross and lay it before Jesus and say, you know what, I've held on to this bitterness too long. I need to let it go and I need to forgive. Maybe that's you this morning. In just a second, Mark's going to lead us through a song. And I want you to be thinking about what it is you need to do for you. Don't worry about your neighbors. Don't worry about what so-and-so did to you years ago or last week or this morning in the parking lot. Simply worry about what it is that, that has chained your heart hostage to bitterness. Because we need to let it go. We cannot truly break free of the root of bitterness until we forgive. God took all of our chains. God took all of the things that we had done and God took all of the places that we had been and God said, it doesn't matter anymore, I forgive you. Can we not take that same forgiveness and pass it on to the people who have wronged us in our lives so that we can break free? Father, this morning, I thank you so much for your word and I thank you for your healing power forgiveness. Father, our prayer this morning is that you would help us to see how bitterness has poisoned our hearts. Father, this morning, even now in this moment, our fervent prayer is that you would help us to see how we have been so bitter to those around us. Lord, help us break the chains today. Help us break free from the hostage of bitterness. God, we love you. We thank you for your power and your grace. And Father, most of all, we thank you for your son. Father, help us to break free this morning. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.